not super into top 10 lists. I enjoy watching them, of course. I just mean I'm reluctant to make them, mainly because, you know, I've seen Dead Poet Society and I'm wary of trying to quantify the value of art. But also, who the hell am I? I haven't played nearly as many games as most of my internet pals. My collection is smaller. I have fewer followers. Literally, who cares what I think? Because reviewing, in my humble opinion, is much more autobiography than analysis. If you watch a YouTube review of a hot new game, you will probably learn a bit about that game, weight, theme, mechanisms, age range. If you watch 10 reviews of the same game, you might learn a bit more, pacing, ideal player count, maybe a few strategy tips. But if you watch 10 reviews of 10 different games from a single source, you will learn a ton about that reviewer. I know that Matt loves games that model the scarcity and competition of an economic system he doesn't particularly care for. I know the pressures of professional reviewing have shifted Mike's taste from crunchy, brain-numbing lifestyle games to lighter fare that's easier to table and teach. I know Camilla needs a lot of personal space and that Tom spends a lot of time at the pub with the lads. The other Tom, of course, that Tom doesn't spend any time at the pub ever. I know that Maggie cares more about mechanisms than she thinks she does, and Amy is more concerned with theme than she lets on, because she painted all of her Blood Rage miniatures. I know these people certainly not well, but about as well as you can know people you don't actually know. We've got those weird, sad, unidirectional fake friendships you form with popular strangers on the internet. And it's just because they post reviews and I consume reviews. And of all the forms reviewing can take, the top 10 list is the most self-reflective. Uh, it's the aforementioned 10 different reviews from one reviewer on Turbo Mode, a portrait of the artist as curator, constructed from the games, movies, comics, records, or books in question. And who wants that detailed a picture of me? It turns out the answer is my friends, not because I'm a person of any particular interest, but just because, you know, they're my friends. So last winter, with a bit of encouragement from a handful of you, I assembled my first favorite games list, a top 20, in fact. And much as I understand that consuming lists is a great way to learn about the list maker, I was not prepared for list making to be such a voyage of self-discovery. Let this be a warning to aspiring list makers. When you gaze upon your reflection, you might not like what you see. In my case, I learned that I don't play my favorite games very often. My list is full of big, intricate, ambitious games like Spirit Island and Root and Tidal Blades and sprawling, immersive table hogs like Gloomhaven and Too Many Bones. Games that might get a lot of table time for folks with a regular group of heavyish gamers, but which for me only come out on special occasions. Meanwhile, I'd just finished an 11-post series on Carcassonne and its many expansions, which involved playing a lot of Carcassonne, and my poor dear Friday Night Standby didn't make the list. What is it about games that play hard to get, or that get hard to play? Me and my buddy Alba... Hi, Alba. Hello. We spend a lot of time discussing games we don't get to play, <laughs> whether because we don't have the players or the time or just the brain power after a day of work and child rearing in your case or cat management in mine. <laughs> but it's only since we started recording these episodes that I'm learning about your go-to weeknight games and reliable date night standbys. It got me wondering whether it's just me or if other gamers experience the same discrepancy between the games they imagine themselves playing and the games they actually play. Mm. Neither of us is a lifelong gamer. Maybe this is an awkward phase we'll grow out of as we mature. Mm. Or maybe everyone has games they dream about and the games they actually come home to. I don't know the answer, and I don't suppose we'll figure it out during this episode of the Punchboard Cathedral podcast where we are discussing games we actually play. Mm-hmm. I'm Kenan, and greeting us from the Greenpoint Annex is my point salad paisan, Alba. <laughs> Hello. How's it going, bud? Hi. Hi. Oh, it's going. 
I I was really having to hold back from commenting as you were. Um, <laughs> you can comment. In intro. Well, I just didn't want to interrupt the flow, but I was really feeling it. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you we're know? here to be each other's church ladies, really. <laughs> oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. So first things first, mm-hmm. did you do your homework? No. However, I need to qualify uh-huh. very quickly. Okay, so yeah. so I have a child. I have a, a um, 18-month-old son, and he is awesome. He is also a lot. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, last week my homework that Kenan bestowed upon me was to play <laughs> Dune Imperium because Dune Imperium has been in our collection for a long time. We haven't played it because it looks drab and boring, but Kenan insists, and many others as well, that it, there is a great game in this boring box. So my husband was on board with this challenge and we were going to do it, but several things got in the way, including the fact that our son is insane. So last night, after I finished cleaning, so this was like at 12 in the morning of today, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to put on a video to relearn the rules to this game because I know I won't get to play it before tomorrow, but I will play it this weekend. So I am going to start my homework, even though it's late. Sorry, teacher, but I'm going to do it. As I was doing it, two things came to mind. One, yep, this board is so drab. And why are the colors so muted? The color situation on this board is bothersome. And it makes me feel like if you have any issues with subtlety and tones, like you're going to have such a hard time with this game. And the other thing was like, oh, yeah, I remember reading the rules and thinking like the gameplay sounds really good. So I'm excited. I'm actually excited to play it again. And I'm going to overlook the boring ass board just so I can get it to the table. This is so funny for so many. Well, this is so funny for two reasons. Okay. The first being that I am the worst person for these kind of like accountability uh, challenges because I'm never going to get mad at or scold anyone for anything. Okay, first of all, why should you scold? It's not homework, really. No, certainly not. I'm not going to really apply any pressure to you at all. You're <laughs> going to have to be entirely self-motivated and self-directed in this because you can come in and be like, I did it. And I'm going to be like, great. And you can be like, I didn't. And I'm going to be like, great. But I did also tell myself that if I cannot get this game played before the next podcast, it means it has to leave our collection. Oh, wow. Because if I can't do it, that means it's never going to happen. That's That's where I came down on it, where I was like, okay, I didn't do it this time. Life happens, whatever. But now I'm telling myself that if I can't get it for the next time, it probably means it's just never going to get played. As Even if it's an amazing game, it means we don't want enough to try. So then that means it just needs to go and make space for something else. That's right. Because life happens, but it's not like after life happens, it then stops happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, right. I like That's the right. challenge because I think the challenge, it's motivating, but it also is like a nice reminder that it's like, you know what, if this is, isn't happening, then maybe it's not happening for a reason and it's probably never going to happen and maybe it's time right. to like, let it go. Right. And as we talked about last week there, you are never going to run out of exciting games to play. Never. You can let go of any number of them and you're That's never right. going to run out of exciting games to play. The second reason that I think this is all very funny, you are a good student who didn't do your homework <laughs> and I am a middling student who did my homework. Yeah. Hey, tell me about your homework. <laughs> All right. So you challenged me to play a Reiner Knizia game. Yes. And to remind the audience, you are not a Knizia fan, generally speaking. Yeah. I'm not a Knizia hater. I just, no, no, no. I, you're not a hater. So I played Witchstone. Mm-hmm. 
which seemed sort of more up my alley than other Knizia games because it had that thematic Euro vibe, which is, you know, extremely my jam. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, this is a game that I think is great for you. Mm I think think you're going to love it. Okay, tell me more. I heard once Jeff Engelstein talk about this game, and he said it didn't have anything new in it, but it gave you a lot of familiar ingredients in a pleasing way. And he compared that to a romantic comedy Mm. where you understand the minute you walk into it, what the main beats of the story are going to be and how things are going to turn out. You don't need to be surprised. You want your expectations to be met in a, you know, skillful way. Mm -hmm. And he said that that was a sign of board games maturing as an art form, that we sort of are starting to have these existing kind of genres and tropes that new games can fall into and still be interesting. Mm. I think that's all correct. It is an interesting game. It is a lot of mini games Mm. that interact with each other in interesting ways. So Mm -hmm. it's a bunch of small little Euro puzzles Mm-hmm. Each one of which you, you do something on the rondelle puzzle and it's going to affect the track puzzle and you do something on the track puzzle and it's going to affect your action selection puzzle. It's got this series of familiar Euro mechanisms in a super streamlined, easy to learn Canizia way, right? Exactly what you expect from the good doctor. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to say this ironically like three times and then I'm going to be one of you people who calls him Dr. Canizia all the time. It's I feel just, like there's only the ironic way to, I mean, I feel like whenever I say it, it's sort of like, <laughs> I know, of course. Of course, but you know what I'm talking about. You do, yes, you do a joke and then it just becomes the way you talk. Of course. Yeah. No, so, it's true. Super streamlined, super clean. The action selection is very interesting. You have this cauldron in front of you mm-hmm. and then you have all of these tiles with icons on them and each icon represents an action and each tile has two actions and they are two hexes put together and then you've got a hex grid in your cauldron and you fill up the hex grid with your little tiles. Mm-hmm. So each tile has two different actions and you get to take the two actions you put into your tile. But if one of your icons is next to the same icon in your cauldron, if you place it in such a way that you've got two, I don't know, pentagrams together or whatever, or or two crystals, then you get to take that action twice mm-hmm. and so on. If you get a clump of five crystals, you get to take the crystal action five times. So you get your turns get bigger as you go nice. because you Satisfying. are arranging your cauldron in such a way, but you can't clump everything together because to get that crystal next to the other crystals, you put your wand on the other side of your crystal tile way away from the rest of your wands, right? So you got to decide which actions you want to soup up and which ones you want to just do one-offs. Very, very clever. Very clean. The theme is that you are witches and you're stirring a cauldron full of actions and then there's a big crystal ball that has a map in it and you connect the locations on the map with energy and then you send your witches, your like, I guess, apprentice witches out to the different locations to score points. <laughs> the reason this doesn't make any sense to you is that it does not make any sense at all. I mean, I this feel like these games rarely have an actual theme, but yeah. <laughs> Our friend Lars, uh, Lars but not least, posted about Pachoku oh, recently yeah. and said the theme gets in the way of learning the game. <laughs> and that is 100% how I lo- felt about this. <laughs> Stop calling this 
a cauldron and just call it a grid. Like every <laughs> thematic word yes. that they had for anything was, made it more mm-hmm. confusing because the metaphor didn't help explain what you were right, doing. Okay. It didn't make yeah. sense of the actions. You open the rule book and it's just like, batoko, 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 batoko. Batoko, 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 Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, like that. So, which stone, which stone, which stone, which stone, which stone? A hundred percent. The track that you're racing up is a wand. Why would a wand be a track? Like, how do you run up a wand? They're like, take a wand action to move up the wand. And you're like, what? Just tell me. To, I'm going up the track. You know, like it'd be yeah, easier. I hear that. I think the original incarnation of this, I believe, was called Eurogame colon the Eurogame. <laughs> and it was a game, the theme of which was you're playing a Eurogame and you have mm-hmm. to get the most points in that game. That is what the actual theme of the game is. It's like, look, I made this beautiful streamlined version of all of these different familiar Eurogame tropes. It is clean and elegant. And we both thought it was fine. Mm. We had fun playing it. We played it a couple times. We're like, yep, this is a game about solving a bunch of little puzzles at the same time. But clever interconnecting puzzles and a thematic Euro brain teaser. Well, I have a friend who loves that sort of thing. (laughs) Well... I can't say you sold me on it, though. Well, because... all right, we're going to find out. No, we're going to find because out. Because it's on its way to you. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, then, yeah, we're going to find out. I mean, I think it will be pretty easy. Once I get past the witchstone, 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 that thing, then it'll be easy. It is really not hard to learn. It's just that the theme doesn't create a metaphor that makes any sense yeah, of the Yeah, I hear like, that. Like, if I were teaching the game to you... I would just call the track a track. I would not call it a wand because then you're teaching a game and giving a vocabulary lesson. Yeah, yeah, And the vocab lesson doesn't help teach the game. Also, like, I don't really care for the theme anyway. I know, like, a lot of people love, like, the mystical thing, but I don't don't care. Like, I probably would have already bought it if it didn't have the witchy thing going on because I just, I'm not into it. But I do really like Knizia, so I wanted to play it anyway. Well, I noticed a certain lack of festivity on your account, and I just wanted to make sure you had something to post about for spooky season. So, you know, that's that's true. That's going to be another thing that I'm going to start saying unironically on the third try. Um, All right, my friend. Tell me about a game you actually get to play. Ooh, okay. So let's say that my life comprises 80% running after a child that's scaling the walls and the couch and the windows and the everything. And I'm just mostly trying to keep him from dying. Or are you trying to um, prevent him from reaching his lofty heights and fulfilling his full potential <laughs> as, a, as a furniture climber? Well, that's the perspective I think he would take yeah, for I sure. Bet. Hashtag team toddler. Yeah. <laughs> so... The other 10% of that is also dedicated to cleaning and doing things after he's gone to bed. And then the final 10% is me learning about games, watching more games, trying to talk about games, think about games, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So this is where that tiny sliver comes in. Hey, uh, Kenan from the edit here. In her delineation of how she spends her waking hours, Alba neglected to mention that she is also recording voiceover spots for video games, commercials, animation uh, from her home studio, where she records this very podcast, balancing the demands of motherhood and career like some kind of superhuman. And, you know, frankly, if she wants to get away with selling herself this short, she's going to have to do the edits herself, which she doesn't have time for because she's got a toddler and a career. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Back to you, bud. You were saying? And so, so often, like you said in the intro, 
I have like all these aspirations. Like I watch all these videos where I'm like, oh, I want to play uh, Age of Innovation or like something really huge and amazing and crunchy. And then like it's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm like, how am I ever going to play this? Mm-hmm. You know, so I have all these ideas about who I want to be and what I want to be playing at nightly. The truth is oftentimes my husband works at night. So a lot of times I just play games by myself. Like I'll just play little solo games, little things I can have enough brain power to either learn or just pull out that I've already, you know, played before and maybe even do it while I'm watching a show. So in this umbrella is Rustling Leaves, which is this uh, mm. roll and write little game you c- could play it with a group but because i rarely have a group i'm just playing at home by myself and you can yeah. just roll these little dice and it has these very satisfying little boxes that you can sort of make these little shapes out of and they're these like beautiful little kind of like retro-y cute naturey pictures on it and it's just like i huh. don't know it's just very satisfying to do is that one sort of like the connecting the dots game sort of like imagine kind of like a bingo page but instead of like numbers or letters or whatever what you have is like little images so it'll be like Mm -hmm. little boxes of like leaves and uh, little boxes Mm. of flowers and creatures uh, like a bear and so basically the dice have numbers and you're trying to like make little polyomino type shapes that are like okay i can make a shape that's two by four so where am i going to put it and you're trying to connect things everything has to be adjacent and then you're just trying to score the best that you can by like encapsulating certain images in the boxes so it's a beat your own score situation it's just a beat your own score situation when you play solo which is the only disadvantage to it however because i only tend to play it when i'm just like i'm just gonna get in bed now and just like lay here and you know scratch off some of these things and like kind of make a little soothing meditative thing for myself before I like conk out tonight like that's the kind of play that I'm doing with that game yeah cool all right so wrestling leaves and then what else is in this category okay so the other one would be orchard which is like a little also dice based game and you have these little cards I mean this thing fits in like a tiny little card box you could Put it in your pocket and it's just like a solo game where you every time you're drawing a card mm-hmm. you have these six spaces on the tiny card there's different sort of terrains let's say so it'd be an apple tree an mm. orange tree you can only overlap like trees okay and what you're trying to do is every time you overlap a like tree your dice gets more value so the first time oh, you okay. put it down it's like now it's worth two you know because you have two trees Uh on top of each other so your grove is growing or your orchard is growing you don't roll the dice they're just counters they're just counters so you're really just placing the cards and the dice represent how much value each one is growing it's just a very satisfying little puzzle it's super easy to play i mean you can just bust it out and you're like oh i'm on my way you know so that's like Mm -hmm. my little other Mm -hmm. solo game that i like to do so these are games that you can play alone with sort of minimal brain power when you're Mm -hmm. watching tv or getting into bed or cleaning up or winding down for the game the day that's sort Mm -hmm. of the appeal of these yeah that's very cool yes because it's like like if you love this hobby and you look back Mm -hmm. and you're like oh man it's been so many days since i really got to play anything and it can be kind of demoralizing and sometimes these little games Mm. like that are a really nice way for me to feel like you know what i did something i got to play this little game and i got to like solve a little puzzle and it just feels nice yeah no i hear that i think mine in the same category you're talking about is beacon patrol oh i haven't played that yet i think you'll like it it's it's the kind of spatial puzzle we both like Mm -hmm. it it's incredibly simple. There's just like a 
few rules mm-hmm. and I mean less than a minute to set up and I am a night owl and I am married to an early bird and it's nice to just when the day is over for for other people to just be like well the day's not over for me yet I've still I can still get a game in yeah. you know and that there are games that sort of fit in that that hole in your day totally so as I'm sure you've heard me talk about one of my all-time faves is Clank mm. which is pretty easy to learn it's you know the same designers do an imperium and a lot of the same mechanisms pretty easy to set up it's not breezy like the games we were talking about before but Mm -hmm. for the decision and drama that you get out of the game it's pretty easy to get to the table Mm -hmm. ironically the game i play much more than clank is the quest for el dorado by your friend and mine (gasps) reiner canizia what which is a very similar game these are both deck building games in which you build a deck that makes you more and more efficient at moving a character through a, across a board. Um, it's kind of a labyrinth in Clank and it's more of a straight ahead race in Quest for El Dorado. Oh, no. mm-hmm. But as we are always talking about where Canisia is concerned, Quest for El Dorado is so smooth. It's so easy. It's mm. so easy to get into. If I can use some gross corporate speak to describe it, the return on investment in a Canizia game is very high. Mm-hmm. For the amount of investment you put into learning and understanding the game and then what you get out of it, you get mm-hmm. a ton out of it for like pretty little effort. It's not that the games are easy, right? The, but the interest comes in the decisions that you're making mm-hmm. rather than I have to balance these 96 different rules that I learned. Mm-hmm. A, it's really easy easy to set up and it's got variable setup but it still is very quick mm-hmm. so you got a different map every time and it didn't it wasn't like too much work to make it mm. also in clank you've got this enormous deck of cards and you're going to reveal from that deck of cards what is available in the market at any given time and so one day game is going to be totally different from the next because the cards that are available that everyone's fighting over are totally different mm. in quest for Eldorado, you always have the same cards available you always start with the same six cards in your market, and then there's 12 more cards that can enter the market over the course of the game, and there's a stack of each of them. And mm-hmm. so you just sort of decide uh, which of those you want to buy. It's not this question of like, will the card I want be available? The card you want is pretty much available. Mm. You don't have this issue of, okay, a bunch of new cards just came up to the market. I've got to read them all and figure mm. out what they all do mm-hmm. and how are those going to affect my strategy. Mm. You know what's available from the start of the game, and you can build a strategy assuming you're going to get these when you get enough money and get those when you get enough money. The choices are much simpler. There's three terrain types, and your cards have icons on them that let you move into one kind of terrain or another, right? You get a Mm -hmm. machete, you can go through the jungle. You get coins, you can go through the desert coins help you go through the desert i don't know you could imagine that you're hiring a caravan or something like we've talked about it's not super thematic right clank is incredibly thematic clank you're like i'm racing through the dungeon i'm stealing stuff i stole this thing that you wanted you stole that thing that i wanted ha 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 i'm gonna make a lot of noise so the dragon eats you like it's very funny and silly and you sort of feel like you're doing what you're doing el dorado is an abstract game but it's got just enough of this like race your characters are racing to a point and moving through this landscape unlike Witchstone, the metaphor helps the game make more sense mm, so mm-hmm. Easier choices, smooth and streamlined. This one we will play while we're eating dinner all the time. We could play Clank then, but Clank is just over the line of like how right. much I want to work my brain. Mm-hmm. But Quest for Eldorado sits right in there. You get all of that excitement and the tension of racing. And one thing that I love about it, and this is going to alienate me from a bunch of my fellow gamers, is that it doesn't have points. 
<laughs> it's you just, just get like, to get the end first. first and you win and this is one of the things that makes it a great weeknight game is that you're not getting to this like slog part in the middle of the game or towards the end of the game where you're like well if i do this decision i can do these 18 oh yeah that get me 17 points and if i do that yeah and then when the game ends you have this dramatic moment where you're both close to the end and whichever one of you figures out how to get across the river first wins as opposed to like okay i trigger the end game condition now we spend two and a half minutes counting points which i'm sorry lots of games i adore do that mm -hmm. but that is the most anticlimactic way for a game to end i know imaginable yeah no i agree with you on that uh everything you've just described is like yeah. making me feel ashamed that i've never played this game because what you've just described is literally my sweet spot why i like canizia games often so much mm, is because yeah. to me that is like the perfect not to say that i don't like other types of games but like you'll find that a lot of the things on this list are going to be having this characteristic of like it's just easy to set up and get to the table and then i get to spend the majority of my time actually on this fun puzzle yep i don't have to do all this other stuff mm. all right so if that's your sweet spot what else well what else it's funny because i feel like this is actually a very related i mean they're totally different games but i i feel like the description you gave for el dorado could easily be the description for this game and this is a game that my husband okay. and i really really like we both really like kingdom builder i know it's oh. like kind of an old school and for a lot of people it's outdated and there's all these other games that do everything better and blah 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 but i love kingdom builder and so does my husband and it's for so huh. many of the same reasons that you just described it's just super easy to set up okay. every game will have a new objective like because there's just a bunch of cards so the variability is high mm -hmm. even though the basics of how you play are the same so i've never played kingdom builder so what, so what's you it have about? this like you have this board and there's all these little hexes it's very like every euro game <laughs> it's like all these uh -huh. these little hexes and they all have different terrains you have these little kind of wooden pieces that look like little houses and what you're trying to do is make these chains that score as much as possible and okay. you mostly have to always connect to a house that you've already built you just have very few choices and and you pull one card on every turn and you get a terrain and so you're allowed to build in the terrain that that card displays correct yeah so there's a the deck of terrain cards that you shuffle every time and they'll those cards are always the same they just are obviously coming out in a different order every game um but mm -hmm. you know that there's only it's like i'm either only going to be able to build on mountains or grass or uh, water or whatever you know i forget exactly what they represent but you get the idea yeah then the other thing that comes out is that you have these um again a little deck of cards that's like objectives for the game and those get set out at the beginning of the game and it's like okay for this game of King kingdom builder people will score the most if they get little clusters around like oases or if you succeed in getting uh, a straight line across the board you will get points for that or you know so there's a, mm -hmm. all this variability because every game you have different objectives depending on what you happen to draw even though there's not like a bazillion cards there's just enough cards cards that the permutations of options are just it's so high. Mm. I can't imagine a game where you would have the same game of Kingdom Builder that you had the last time okay. because of the combinations of, of things. Yeah. And so that's it. And it's like, that's pretty much the game. You just pull a card. You have to make a choice. Where can I, where will I put my little uh, house in the grass? Like, how can I maximize my points? Which hex can I place on that will help me 
reach my objectives. How would you describe the weight of Kingdom Builder? Light. I mean, it's like very much like what you were describing with El Dorado, where it's like the entry level of of understanding how to play is so low. You could teach almost anyone, I think. I mean, I'm, I, I feel like even kids could probably learn how to play it, but it's like... The uh-huh. decision space is high. Great. You could easily play it and um, feel like maybe I'm not going to put that much thought into it and still have a decent time. Yeah. And, but like you could also yeah. be like, oh, this is like kind of interesting. Like, how can I maximize this or that? I don't know. To me, I think a lot of people would disagree with me at this stage because I've had so many conversations before I got this game. I kind of hemmed and hawed about like, should I get Kingdom Builder? I was like, constantly just coming back to it thinking like it just feels really attractive to me. And then. Um, yeah. All these people were just like, oh, but this game does this better. And this, you know, like, and I get it. But honestly, this is just so satisfying to me. And I can just get it to the table and play it and and have a great night. Yeah. Okay. So 100% on that note. Yes. Every serious gamer on Instagram will tell you, if you like Splendor, Mm. you should try Splendor Duel. Mm -hmm. Splendor Duel is a great game. But Splendor is the one I play. Mm-hmm. Even at two players, Splendor is the one that we play over and over and over again. We've, we have Splendor Duel and we've enjoyed it. But like Splendor is perfect, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what you said. Splendor is so easy to learn and so easy to play, like so easy to get into. Not easy to win, totally dependent on how intense the person you're playing against is, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. like you can learn Splendor in a few minutes and you can get better and better and better at Splendor for literally years. I know because Mm -hmm. I keep getting better at Splendor and I'm still not very good. (laughs) Also, I can just decide that like I'm tired and I'm just going to vibe through. And I'm like, not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to like look at all the different rows and measure the value of all the different cards and figure out the best strategy. I'm just going to like look at what's in front of me and get some gems and get some cards and see where I end up. Right. Yeah. I can play it with that level of attention and still have a great time. And maybe I get clobbered and I still have a good time. I just, I just like collecting my gems right. and buying my cards and buying more cards. I just enjoy it. It's so good. It's so good. And then if I want to, if I'm feeling in the zone, I can figure out the most efficient way to get to 15 points and try to, you know, mm-hmm. try to get there as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Splendor Duel, you have to put that much thought into each of your turns. There's like mm. a couple different puzzles. One, I, I don't know if you've played Splendor Duel. I haven't yet, no. There's this new spatial gem selection puzzle that I think you would like very much and Zach might hate. <laughs> um, and I liked it too. But it makes every choice very complicated. Uh Or not very complicated, but considerably more complicated, right? You have to really think through. Yeah, yeah. You can't can't run on empty and play Splendor Duel. Whereas like you can play Splendor entirely on vibes and still have a good time. Or you can be mathy about Mm -hmm. it if you want to. So that's what just Mm -hmm. makes it come up again and again. You know, it's a great dinner game for us. It's just, it's one that when we're in that state of like, we don't want to be watching TV. We want to just like spend some time together around the table and, and like, you know, talk to each other and look at each other's faces, but we don't have the brain power for, you know, the crunch. Yeah. Um, Splendor totally. just sits right in there. Because of you, I got Splendor. Oh, I didn't know that. Because I think I hadn't bought it for a long time because I was like, oh, maybe at this point it's like too entry level. Maybe I'm not like going to be that interested in, in Splendor. And I just didn't really think about it. It wasn't like uh, mm-hmm. an intentional, like I'm just avoiding Splendor, but it was more that it just, 
I think, just remained off my radar in a serious way because I'd gotten sucked into the world of everybody gaming and it's like, what's everyone playing? And it's like, nobody's like yammering on about Splendor because it's not like new and exciting. Except for me. Well, yeah, but but that's great. And <laughs> No, I, you're right. Because it's not like the shiny new thing, and especially with Splendor right. Duel that just came mm-hmm. out recently. It's like everybody was on about Splendor Duel. So yeah. I, yeah, I was just wasn't one of those things where I was like, oh, should I be getting this? And then you and I started talking a lot about it. And I was like, I think I need to try it. And I got it and we took it home to my parents' house and we played it with my family and we played we played it a bunch and we yeah. all had a great time for oh, all the great. reasons you described. And man, those poker chips are so fun. They're so nice. And that's the other thing about it is that you can totally play it with non-gamers. I mean, anyone who's played mm-hmm. like any kind of a card game, I think, can pick it up really quickly. I play it with my mother-in-law. You might not be very good at it at first, but you're still you're still interested you can still uh, understand it enough that you've got a strategy and you're trying things and then you see someone whip past you to 15 and you're like ah i need to rethink this totally. you know but you can get into it very quickly yeah and it's like because of the race factor i think you just feel like I, there's something it's like it's like what you were talking about with el dorado it's like getting to that end point there's like an acceleration as you get closer you know there's an arc to the game yeah and then the other thing i just want to say on splendor's behalf is that I have the box of expansions and they're great and they oh. are modular and each one just adds a couple little mm. rules and a couple little twists. And so we can just toss one in. You can learn it on a weeknight and play it easily. Amazing. And a lot of those expansions went into Splendor Duel. Like Splendor Duel kind of already incorporates what those do. Mm-hmm. This way you just get to add in a, one little detail to the formula you already know after you've gotten really acquainted with I it. I love that. Yeah. And so that has kept it fresh for us is that we'll... We'd be like, all right, we pretty much, you know, have explored Splendor and we know what each other's strategies are. And it's like, well, what if we add this little twist in? And it's just enough to make it interesting without adding a lot of cognitive weight. I love that because it reminds me of like these games I feel like are perennial because they offer such a great, satisfying, changing, even within the structure of the game. It's Mm -hmm. like still a changing enough landscape to keep you interested in coming back. And I think that games have moved away from this formula of like Mm -hmm. simple game with a big decision space, you know, easy to learn. And I think Mm -hmm. that's because the audience for games right now is gamers, right? The audience for games, at least in Mm -hmm. America, used to be sort of general audiences and now yeah. now the audience is gamers and so everyone wants the thing that they know to be one-upped and they want levels and right. levels on top of the familiar mechanisms and that's great and I, those are the games that i love on a saturday morning but um mm-hmm. i think the barrier to entry for the hot new games get keeps getting higher and higher because you really have to be oh, a person totally. that's already familiar with all the games that those games are building on before you get into them oh yeah For sure. All right. So do you have one more for us? Okay. So my third and last, it is a game, but also kind of a collection of games. And I'm not not trying to be coy, but like when I met my husband and got introduced to his family, I quickly learned a game that is a very big deal in their house. Like they all, he grew up playing this. His grandparents taught it to him. Everybody in their family plays cribbage. And I had never played cribbage before. Did not know anything about it or really trick-taking games at all. 
And so if you've never played cribbage. I have not. It's a game where you have this little wooden board with these little pegs. You can play two player, three player or four player. And if you play four, you're on teams. Okay. Uh, The way that it works, it's that every round, I guess you would call it, you take these cards and you're trying to make 15s, ideally. So this is a card game that also has a pegboard in it? Yes. Okay. So in each round, you are trying to score by getting as many 15 points combinations. You get a hand of four cards. And then there's like one card that everyone shares that gets turned over in the middle. So when you get your cards, you get six cards. And you actually have to look at your hand of cards and think, okay, I can only keep four of these. And two of them are going to go to the person whose crib it is on this round. And the person whose crib it is is the person who dealt the cards. You pick your four that you're going to keep and you're trying to imagine like, okay, what's the most combos of like 15 that I can get with my four cards and assuming like hoping maybe like whatever card gets turned over for all of us to share, maybe it's going to help me get even more 15s. You know, like you don't know what card is going to get turned over, but you're sort of trying to play with probabilities and like which ones can I eliminate to maximize my possible scoring. Okay. So you keep your four cards, you turn over the two that you're giving away and you put them in the crib. Okay. And then, yeah, first you turn over the card that everyone shares and then everyone, there's a whole thing where you play down cards too and you score that way also it's basically the whole time you're scoring these points they're all getting notated on this little wooden board and so it's kind of a racing game in that sense too i mean it literally looks like a little racetrack oh, so the board is a scoreboard yes it's a scoreboard and so as you're moving your little peg around that's why they call it pegging is it's like every time you score 15 it's like ooh, i pegged two points or you can peg one point for this or for that there's little kind of like nuances in addition to that main thing that you're doing okay yeah the intricacies of cribbage are less important it has become for me I mean this was already their family tradition to play cribbage but now like I finally I feel like I'm okay at it Zach's grandmother is like amazing is she the reigning champ oh well she's like a big time card play she plays bridge she's you know Mm. 96 and plays bridge Mm -hmm. weekly still I mean she's she's awesome awesome. yeah and her husband who's who's now passed but they were both really big into bridge and cribbage and all these things and they kind of introduced this tradition of playing the games Um, and so yeah when I became part of the family I was like so you're gonna play cribbage now that's awesome yeah it's like once you learn how to play it it's like many little card games where you're just like oh yeah you can just grab a deck and you can teach somebody even if you don't have a board you can keep Mm. track of the points a different way you know yeah now there's like apps and stuff you can pull on your phone and blah 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 oh but then if you if you do it on the apps you probably have to call it swiping instead of pegging which is (laughs) you know equally rude for a different reason exactly i mean we don't so cribbage is is the perennial but also as a result of cribbage like it made me fall in love with trick-taking games. I really have barely ever played any trick-taking games. Mm. I thought card games were for old, boring people when I was a kid. I never got into them. Yeah. And I don't have the same pull towards them now that I mm-hmm. have towards other kinds of games. I get that. Well, you know that I I like, a, I, I think theme is like a kind of vague word. Mm-hmm. What I like is games that model something. Mm-hmm. Or I'm like, oh, I see the system that this game has simplified and abstracted into a, a 
something I can understand. Mm -hmm. Whether that be something fantastical like running through a dungeon mm -hmm. or something like in Barcelona where you're doing urban planning, mm -hmm. you know, something mundane and real. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to feel like the game represents something. And trick-taking games mm -hmm. are so self-referential. Mm -hmm. They're card games about manipulating cards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't um, pertain to anything outside of themselves. And that's not a criticism. It's just it doesn't... It's hard for me to get excited about it. Uh, it doesn't have a, the hook for me. I hear that. But... I could totally see getting excited about a card game that was like a family tradition and that, you know, was an entrance entry point into sort of intergenerational um, socialization. So that I think is really cool. Yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I think for me, it like introduced me to this basic mechanic of trick taking. I right. mean, tri trick taking can mean so many things, obviously, but like just the concept I had just wasn't familiar with it until I learned cribbage. And since then, I'm just like fascinated by it. I love I love this mechanic in games now. It is a great time to love trick-taking. Mm -hmm. There's so many people building on that uh, mm -hmm. foundation mm -hmm. right now. One game that I, I did like that used some trick-taking is Forgotten Depths, I think it was called. It's kind of an indie mm. dungeon crawler, but the dungeon is entirely made out of cards and it's a sort of narrative game. You you find things in the dungeon and then read little bits of story. It's, it's really neat. Beautifully illustrated in this kind of Charles Vesey style. And... The combat is trick-taking. Mm, mm -hmm. I've never seen it done See, before. See, I love that. I just got introduced to this game on BGA, uh, Van Helsing versus uh, Dracula. Oh, wow. Very similar to what you're describing, where it's like, it's kind of a versus game, but you're using trick-taking to kind of um, figure out who wins the battle. Um, and cool. I, I, yeah, it was just, it's just super satisfying. Love it. The artwork is awesome. You have a little board and it's a very fun little puzzle. Yeah. I really enjoy it. So I just said this whole thing about we've moved away from simple rule sets with vast decision space, mm -hmm. contradicting myself. This is the by far the newest game on my list. Okay. It is Atiwa. Ooh, yeah. okay. And you know I love Uwe, mm -hmm. and I love his big farming Euro games. Right. Because A, they're great puzzles, and B, I find them to be very thematic, although lots of people on Instagram argue with me about that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much everyone I've seen giving their first impressions of Atiwa will say something like, this isn't my favorite Uwe game, but it's it's really nice. It's really good. It's solid. I had fun. Mm. I don't really mm -hmm. see it sticking around. Yes. It's it's not as variable as his other games. It's not as crunchy, but it's good. You know, it's light. It's light. It's good. Definitely have read that many times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I felt the same way. Two of our friends, uh, Lucy, Diary of a Board Game Girl, and the often mentioned Lars, <laughs> both said to me, like when I start, first started playing it, and I was like, this is great. I like it. They were like, keep playing it. And I was like, okay, but I like it. And they were like, no, keep playing it. And I was like, okay. The thing is, as much as I love Caverna and Laav and Hallertau and Feast for Odin, I don't play those games that often because they are mm -hmm. big and they take a really long time to set up. Mm -hmm. One of the things that keeps them interesting is they all have these variable setups, but oh boy, do you have to prepare all the decks of cards <laughs> and shuffle yeah. the tiles and blah, 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 right. blah. Atiwa is not that variable. It's got a little bit, but set it up really quickly. You know, you just put your little, your little wooden sheep and stuff on your board and shuffle some cards and you're good to go. And it's solo mode. Oh my God. It is so beautiful. It is so smooth. So th the problem with solo modes in worker placement games is that mm -hmm. they pretty much always have to create a dummy player, which is a deck of cards that's going to block spaces from you because that's how worker placement right. games work. You're competing for spaces and they can't all be available. 
And then they always kind of suck. Even the ones that are good and easy to run kind of suck because the dummy player is never making a decision for any reason. It's not taking a spot that makes sense for it to take. It's just randomly taking spots. And either you feel like, well, this player is being stupid and isn't taking the spot they should take. And so this is too easy for me. Or they're being stupid and mean and taking spots that like no other player would have taken that just happened to spite me. And there's no way of sort of like having that give and take with them of like, I dare you to take that one because I'm going to take the other one. Mm -hmm. In Atiwa, it's a worker placement game. Like Uwe games, there's a ton of different spaces. And the dummy player is you the last two rounds. Mm. You just, you play with three different sets of meeples. And so round one, you use the red meeples and then they stay there. And round two, you use the yellow Mm. meeples and the spots you can't use are the awesome spots you used last turn. Use the yellow meeples. Now in round three, you use the blue meeples and you can't use the round one or round two spots that you used because you blocked yourself from them. And there's this whole new puzzle of like, I want this spot now. But do I need it more two rounds from now than I need it now? Mm-hmm. And then in round four, you get your red meeples back. So your first, your round one spots ah, open up again. Round cool. four. And so there's this three round rotation. It's so good. Oh, it's man. so brilliant. It, it takes no extra energy. Love so that. You don't have to run a, a bot. All it does is give this extra little crunch to the puzzle of like, Thinking when you're taking your action, not just am I blocking an opponent from getting this, which is, you know, what you think in the multiplayer game, but like, am I blocking myself from getting this, which maybe is a problem. Ah, I feel I feel like I really want this game. I've talked to you ad nauseum about various like aspects of this, not even specific. I feel like this is all even new information to me. And I've just been, you know, reading your posts and picking your brain about like, is this going to be a me game? And every time I think sometimes I let myself be dissuaded by all those people that are like, it's good, but like you, it's, you know, it's the puzzle is not going to last that long. I think I'm going to really like it for all the reasons. And I think it's perfect. This today's episode is like the speed that I work at and like Atiwa could totally right. do that for me. And so for me, and I don't know if this is where it's going to sit for you. It is the crunchiest thing that I can start after Kate goes to bed. Yes. You know, the setup's pretty quick, so I'm not tired when I'm done setting mm-hmm. it up, which has happened with other games. But it's a it's a crunchy worker placement game. It's the kind of game I love that I normally feel like, oh, I can't play this now. It's too late. Yes. I don't have enough yes. people, whatever. And I can play it. Ugh. And that's not all that's good about it. It's also just a really good game. And then the other thing they do that is so clever and that makes it such a perfect solo game for me, mm-hmm. it is the tiniest variation on beat your own score. Mm. It just says in the rule book, you win if you get 120 points. Ooh. Well, 120 points is impossible. So effectively, it is beat your own score. Oh. I don't know anyone who's gotten 120 points. I'm, I'm, maybe it can happen. I feel like I'm in about the middle of the pack of how far I've gotten, which is about 107. Mm. And that's after playing this game probably 12 times. I know a couple people have gotten a little further than I have, but no one who's gotten to 120. So essentially, it is a beat your own score. I got 93 points for like six games in a row. And when I got 95 the next game, I was like, yes, I did it. I'm amazing. Ah. And the first time I broke 100, I was like, I'm incredible. <laughs> you know, this is nothing mechanical. It's just a line in the rule book that says you should be trying to get 120 has made me play it over and over and over again because I'm like, I feel like I did as well as I could possibly do. No, I could have gotten two more bats yeah. in my in my grove. Exactly. I'm going to try again. And it is a, a highly, highly thematic Euro. Right. I have learned a ton about like this ecosystem that it models from the game. I love it. It's really beautiful. Yeah. So Alba, you are pretty humble. 
And I feel like our listeners may not know that in your spare time, in your abundant spare time, <laughs> you actually design board game titles. Oh, okay. We're going to go there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if I understand correctly, yes. you've got a list of game titles. Yes. And one of them is a real game. One of them is a real game, yes. And the rest of them are just games that exist in, in your dream world. That's right. And I have to figure out which is which. Yes. I feel like actually you're going to get this one because I think maybe the one I picked is very known, but we'll see. All right. Okay. So here are your four choices. Sanguinote, Night Hunter. Vampire the Eternal Struggle, Bats Out of Hell, Blood Chalice the Throne. See, I'm, I'm worried that the world I actually live in is not the world that I want to live in. And the, I think the world that I actually live in yeah, must one? have a game called, it has to have a game called Vampire the Eternal Struggle in it, right? It does. It does. That's okay. the world that you live in. Uh, you got it. You got it. News. You got it. I hate that. Um, you got it. Ding, 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 ding. This is I, like insert audio of ding, 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 ding. No soundboard here. Uh, Alba is the soundboard. <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. I would much prefer any of those other games to be real. <laughs> okay, so if you were going to back one of those four games on Kickstarter, which would it be? Sanguinote Night Hunter. Yeah. Wait, okay, sorry. Can you read them to me again? Yes. Okay, so here they are. Yeah. Sanguinote Night Hunter. Night Hunter. Yeah, love that. Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bats out of hell. <laughs> Blood Chalice, the throne. <laughs> I'm with you. Sanguinote is, is my, uh, that's my choice too. The Bats Out of Hell sounds like a game from the Exploding Kittens people. Exactly. It sounds like a, like a goofy card game. I was like hoping it'd be like, I don't know, Bats Out of Hell kind of sounds like a goofy Halloween card game. Yeah, I just feel like I would have heard about it, but it totally sounds like one of those party games like Throw Throw Burrito, where you, you like throw <laughs> little bats at your friends and, and it's mainly for everyone else to laugh at it. And you have your eyes closed, right? You're blindfolded and backwards exactly. and you're throwing bats at each other. And the last one definitely is the one that goes to kickstarter oh yeah oh yeah are you kidding me blood chalice is like they're vying for the throne blood chalice yes yes <laughs> and you can buy you can buy eight expansions for it even <laughs> yeah right away exactly exactly also there are both acrylic and plastic miniature upgrade packs absolutely and a first day backer bonus <laughs> of like the, one of the characters on a horse <laughs> You guys heard it here first. Soon coming to Kickstarter, except for Vampire the Eternal Struggle, which already exists. Oh, which, by the way, I didn't I didn't say something important. Vampire the Eternal Struggle 1994 is the original game. Designer, Richard Garfield. Really? Mm-hmm. So does it belong to the Vampire the Masquerade universe, or is it a different... Yes, it does. It does. Well, you were right. All right. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I really, li- I really liked it. <laughs> Thank you for humoring me. The, the humor was all yours. <laughs> um, also, all of those ideas, except for the vampire one, are copyright. Uh, no one can take them. There are games. Right. We're going to be rich. Like yeah. I said, they're already TM headed to Kickstarter. Because we can't live off of this sweet, sweet podcast money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So I think now it's time for the rabble round. <laughs> Hold on. Let me hit the alpha button. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. I am now going to share the voice of the peasants. Okay. So we introduced our topic to all of 
our friends on Instagram, and this is what people said that's been hitting the table a lot lately. Age of Innovation. Ark Nova. Arkham Horror. Dustin O'Keefe Lynch says, it's just enough incentive to play out the campaign without triggering ADHD. Oh, I need to learn this from you and from Foxbox Games because... I've tried to get into Arkham Horror a few times, and I struggled with it. So I will see you on the IG about that. <laughs> Botanic. Daniel of The Game Table says, Bruxelles 1893, because it's incredibly dynamic, fast, strategic, engaging, and fun. I can't keep the number straight. Is that the little Bruxelles or the big Bruxelles? The bigger one. That makes sense from Daniel, of course. Yes, yes. Okay. I tried to learn this one at Gen Con, and I felt like my teach was not particularly good. Mm. Sorry to the girl who taught me. I mean, she was like nice, but I just felt like it was... It's a good thing we don't have any listeners and you can trash talk whoever you want, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know her name. Listen, <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like to teach the same game like 25 times a day to people. So in her defense, I think she was just trying to kind of breathe some energy or kind of be like, well, what do you think happens next? And I was like, I have no fucking idea. You know, like, and she was kind of making us guess the next moves and stuff and it was it was okay but it was just really hard to get a handle on what we were doing because I was like yeah uh I don't know I'm this she'd be like really you think that and I was like no maybe is that what, you know like it was um my buddy Dale's first gen con and the night before he was sort of like nervous about the games where he was gonna go learn new games he's like how many new games can I learn in a day you know this is like I, I signed up for too many of these and we were like, no, the people here are so good at teaching games. Like they do it all weekend. They're like, they do this professionally. Like this is, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And first thing on Thursday morning, we all went to learn Dwellings of Elder Vale together. Oh, and God. the teacher was so awful. Oh no. <laughs> it, was, oh, no. it was like, it was so bad. And Dale was reading the rule book like during the teach. And, oh, I remember he told guy, us about this. Yes, and when the when the guy teaching us would say something wrong, Dale would just sort of like very subtly like shake his head no, and then like when he would walk away from the table, he'd be like, "Okay, here's what here's how the game actually works." No, oh, that's hard. <laughs> well, at least you had him as a friend there to do that, because that would definitely. I feel like that game would fall under the same thing with Bruxelles, where it's like if you have a bad teach and there's no one there to kind of like write the ship, then it's super easy. Yeah. For the people who are kind of like, no, I'm looking for ways to cut games out of my life. It's like, this is now cutting room floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, as one of Dustin's fellow ADHD havers, I can't read a rule book at the table with friends. Oh, yeah. Me either. It's impossible. I need everyone to like shut up and sit quietly, which isn't going to happen. So I have to learn games before anyone shows up at my house, you know? Definitely. I would not have been able to in the middle of like the first morning of Gen Con, like you you know how crowded and insane it was. Mm-hmm. Like sit there and get the rules out of the book while someone else was teaching us the rules. Absolutely could not do that. Yeah, that's but crazy. Dale teaches middle school and is used to uh, performing in chaotic situ- situations. I was so going to say he's he, probably he used to being control. in classrooms where everyone's like screaming and he's just like, keeping it cool, that's amazing. bringing order from the chaos. Yeah. So, so. moving on. Oh, yeah, you're not going to agree with this one. Weemal says, <laughs> clank. Because it's the best game of all time ever. Easy to learn, different tactics, replayable, 
fire emoji. All right. So Mael is my old studio mate. From oh, Brooklyn, nice. And she is uh, an incredible cut paper artist. Uh, you should check out her Instagram, which is WeMyL. But we learned this game together and we would play oh, cool. it on our lunch breaks when we were working together in the studio. Aww. Yeah. So back in back in Brooklyn. And we just were obsessed with it. And now she's out here too. And oh, we nice. are slowly working our way through uh, Clank Legacy, which is great. Ooh. So anyway... Um, I agree, buddy. Yes. This is, this is the best game. I know you do. That was me teasing. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> I was just explaining uh, but, for the audience that I knew that. <laughs> well, so we used to, anyway. this was like before the pandemic that we used to play this game together all the time mm. and that we didn't, we didn't play it together for years. And now that we have regrouped on the West Coast, we're playing it again. Okay. So Earth, Evergreen, Final Girl, yep. Fresh and Blood, Imperial Miners, a couple of those, mm-hmm. Kinfire Chronicles, don't even know that. Match of the Century, Nimalia, Point City. I actually, you know, I wasn't a big Point Salad fan, but I am actually interested in Point City. I'm just opposed to the title Point Salad. Oh, yeah. A, I don't yeah. think puns make good titles because you say them over and over again and they stop being funny if they were ever funny in the first place. <laughs> and then secondly, um, I really don't like titles that refer to the mechanism in the game. Mm-hmm. I find mm-hmm. it like winky and inside jokey and sort of alienating to anyone who doesn't already know what that mechanism is. And the whole mm-hmm. point of like a title and a theme is to make games accessible to people who they're not already accessible mm-hmm. to, I mm-hmm. would say. Regicide, Res Arcana, Nicola says, which, by the way, we've been mispronouncing his name, but I think Sorry, Nicola. Sorry, We got it from now on. He says, because of the quick fan-made solo mode, Resist. Of course, a lot of people blame Lorcana. I see you, Sam the Kuma, Schadenfreude, <laughs> Scythe, Sea Salt and Pepper. Definitely a lot of that going on online. Bad Board Gamer said Sea Salt and Pepper. Uh, paper, I think. Oh, yeah. What did I say? Popper? Pepper? Papa. Pepper. Oh, yeah. Sea, sa- <laughs> sea Salt and Papa. Sea Salt and Paper. Sorry. Mamma mia. Oh, yeah. Um, Mamma mia. Sea Salt and Pepper. Sea Salt and so this is interesting. Oh, so she man. said she said that it's quick and easy, and she loves the meta that they've built around it. Wait, what? What's the meta? Well, that's I don't know. I asked her if she meant like a sort of like narrative meta, and she was like, "No, there's no narrative to this game." So they have like people have for you know Magic the Gathering or whatever, like yeah. their own set of like known strategies. I think, and just just like internally in in their game group or their you know whatever. So they've been playing this game a ton, and they have like built up a meta around it. Oh, her and her group. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? There's like another universe? (laughs) (laughs) They've been been playing in the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't have any legs, but you don't need them to play sea salt and pepper or paper (laughs) or papa. (laughs) Yeah, stool pigeon. I don't even know what that is. I'm going to have to look that up. The Cajun gamer PJ says, because my sister-in-law made us play until she won a game. (laughs) Okay, okay. You have to expand upon this. So I, I followed up with PJ on this one and I was like apparently they've played it 20 something times because his sister-in-law kept being like no again like I've got to win one so it sounds like my son again again (laughs) (laughs) I think I just wrote like do you hate it and PJ just sent me back a photo of his own face from which it was very clear that he does in fact hate it. He just, he just gave me an expression, a, a picture of him mad-dogging the game, basically. Oh, wow. Um, Wait, what is the game? I don't even know. Is it a card game? What is it? I don't know either. The look on PJ's face didn't really make me want to learn more about it. It's like, back away slowly. But buddy, I, I have some advice for you. 
uh, which is just let her win and then <gasps> move on to something oh, else. Oh, good call. Yeah, come on. Uh, never. The game is not that sacred. It's just, you know. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So Eric Lujo says Warhammer. Just kidding. I still mm-hmm. haven't played it. Okay. That, is that an inside joke? Uh, well, Eric is like my only friend in my new town, I want to say. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Boy, we have we have so many sound effects loaded up on this soundboard. That's incredible. <laughs> Which is not to in any way imply that he's a good friend. Uh, we are terrible influences on one another. Uh, we have been trying to get him into board games. We got him uh, hooked on both Carcassonne and Clank recently. Um, he's good games. And he's a killer man he's picked them both up really quickly he's really good at both of them but he recently got into warhammer Mm. now eric like you has an incredible record collection and like me has an incredible indie comics collection Mm. so he is the sort of person who should never under any circumstances be introduced to warhammer Uh yeah oh no he went he went wild and like spent months gathering and painting assembling and painting all of his warhammer armies without having played the game but he has as of last weekend played warhammer <gasps> did he like it he played <laughs> so he texted us after his first game and i was like how do you like it and he was like i don't know <laughs> Oh, no, I hate to hear it. I hate to hear it. I love to hear it because he's been trying to get me into Warhammer for months now. And I'm like, buddy, I cannot. I cannot have any more toys in my house. Like, this is not going to happen. Like, I am a happily married person. Like, I cannot (laughs) do this. Um, But then... He texted us after his second game, which he won, and he was like, oh, it turns out I like winning, so now he likes <laughs> having won a game. Well, so that's it's good. all good. Eric has played Warhammer. We're doing great. Um, Hashtag no But regrets. I have not, and I'm not going to. It's not <laughs> happening. If you got this far in the episode, bud, it's not <laughs> happening. Okay, last one. Jenny Benabic1919 has no answer because of Spiel, no absorbed playing lately. She is saying, I think, that because of Spiel, they've been like playing a lot of new games, but they haven't been getting deep into any particular oh, game. Oh, 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 oh. Got it, got it, got it. it. At least that's how I, I interpreted it. Dabbling. Dabbling in a lot of things, yeah. but not delving deep into one. And that's the downside of the new hotness, right? That's the downside of how exciting it is to be like in this world where there's so much innovation happening and the scene where like things are so exciting you never really love a game on your first couple of plays like you get excited about it you're like oh i think this has potential but the games you love the ones we've been talking about that you know like kingdom builder for you or like splendor Mm -hmm. for you like these ones that hit the table over and over again you get these sort of deepening relationships with games as you play them dozens of times and your strategy settles in like bad board gamer was talking about Mm -hmm. with sea salt and paper and pepper and papa and (laughs) you know developing their own kind of like internal language about the game yeah it's like it's so exciting to go to a convention and learn all the new games and it's also like really satisfying to just like pull out an old game that you know and love and Mm -hmm. get to know it a little Mm -hmm. better yeah Yeah. i want more of that there's not a ton of games besides some of those classics that you already mentioned and like carcassonne is another one that hits the table a lot for us and it's just because those we just we don't have to relearn them we know them they're easy to jump back into you don't have to do Mm -hmm. any new teach and you can like just get into the game and start to like test out different strategies like that reminds me of what bad board gamer said too where it's like with carcassonne you know i mean we've definitely toyed with doing different things to each other being like this game i'm gonna like try to trap zach over in this area or whatever you know that is a game that is so simple and that absolutely has this arc in every game group it joins right when Mm -hmm. i first played carcassonne i think this is true of a lot of people 
like we were basically doing parallel play. Like we were, mm-hmm. I'm working on my little kingdom and mm-hmm. Kate's working on her little kingdom and maybe they meet a little bit. And now after years of playing it, like we play so aggressively, like we're stealing oh, yeah. each other's stuff. And we're, yeah, you know, us too. even when it's strategically ill-advised, like, <laughs> I, you know, it's just like, it's just fun. It's just fun to go after each other's cities and whatever. Mm-hmm. So this is what I mean about like it's, the game develops as you play it over and over. And so given that, mm-hmm. why is it that these aren't the games we're talking about? Like the games that we talked about over the last hour Mm -hmm. are like not the games that we mostly talk about that people are talking about on Instagram. Like, why is that? Yeah, I see what you mean. I don't know. Do you have an answer? I I might. I think games that are hard to get to the table Mm -hmm. are often associated with a particular experience. Mm -hmm. Like I played this at a convention where we had the eight people you needed. Right. I played this with all my friends at a party or whatever. I never have the four or five people I need to play Architects of the West Kingdom. But the time I did with all of my friends and we were rounding each other up and sending each other's workers to jail and whatever. Like it was so funny and so fun. (laughs) More than thinking about that specific game, every time I think about it, I think of this one specific time when I had such a great time. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And then I also think that because we sort of associate them with these good times and good memories, like those are the things we all wish we had more of in our lives, right? Like I wish Mm -hmm. I had more big game nights with the boys or whatever. And so like we associate games that are hard to play with the lives that we wish we had, I think Mm -hmm. to a large extent. Mm -hmm. It's like either a game we played once or twice and wish we could play more and wish we could get that group together more or like a game like what we were talking about one yesterday. um, Cascadero. Right, right, right. That we want to play. But like, are we going to have the group for it? Right. Mm -hmm. And we like wish we had bigger groups to try all these different games out with. Mm -hmm. You know, I really want to check out Millie Fiore. And Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, when am I going to have the people together for it? Yeah. Yeah. And then I also think that a game that you've played less is a game whose flaws you haven't really sussed out yet. Mm-hmm. Like the first couple times I played Everdell, I was just like, this is so cute. This is so fun. I'm building up this city. I'm g- g- making the little mice marry and start a farm. Like, this is great. And like now when I play Everdell, I'm really annoyed by how random the card draw is. And, mm. you know, because there's like this problem with the game. I think it's mm-hmm. a great game, but like there's this issue with building up a strategy based around cards that may or may not ever show up. Like all of these games with big decks of cards have you know mm-hmm. terraforming mars and apparently arc nova you don't know that yet about like games that are hard to get to the table whereas like you know the ins and outs of games that you play a lot you just knocked those three games off my list because i didn't like that description <laughs> <laughs> well good then i've done my my good work for the day yeah exactly i think we're all a little worried that our old standbys make us basic mm. or like unserious like not not serious gamers interesting well like you were saying about kingdom builder like Oh, when you bring up Kingdom Builder, people are like, oh, well, there's games that do these things better, you know? Mm -hmm. Or like whenever I bring up Splendor, someone's like, well, Splendor Duel is the gamer version of Splendor. And it's like, yeah, okay, but I like Splendor, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that saying you love Carcassonne is -hmm. like saying you love the Beatles. It's like, yeah, sure, of course, Mm -hmm. everybody does. That doesn't tell me anything interesting about your personality. If you say you hate the Beatles, you're just being a hipster. Like, the Beatles are great. Right, right. (laughs) And same thing with Carcassonne. But it's like, you're not expressing your personality by being Mm -hmm. like, I love Carcassonne. It's just like a a given. Everyone loves Carcassonne. I see that. I don't know, but you gave me a face when I said that. Well, because I thought, at first when you said that, I was kind of like, oh, I don't really agree with that statement. But then I kind of see where you're going with it where it feels like it says more about 
you when you're when you can be like, oh, I I really liked Kutnahora, or you know, I don't know how you say it. Right. Sorry, I just butchered that name. But like, I don't think anyone else knows how to say it either. I think we're okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying in that respect. To be fair, too, like, I think it's just hard. There's so many new games coming out all the time now. It's like such a plethora of games constantly. So it is hard to not pay attention and not look. And I 100% agree with you that for me, the the point that you made about why do I chase that feeling so much is I think a lot of times because it's like the game night I want to have that I just don't get Mm -hmm. to have. And so I keep, you know, like contained in this box is going to be this like, beautiful amazing night and it's like I agree with you about the Carcassonne thing where I thought that was a really good comparison in my mind because it's like yeah I love playing Carcassonne with my husband but I never am like it's gonna be a Carcassonne night Mm -hmm. like I'm not like imagining it ahead of time being like and the you know and we'll be laughing and drinking the wine and playing the tile you know like it's just like that's not the image that I I'm just like oh you want to play Carcassonne cool let's do it you know and we just get into it it's not like a it's not like a fantasy imagined ahead of time whereas if you're like like I really want to get see fromage on the table it's gonna be so cool when it shows up yeah I know I think maybe we take those games for granted a little bit like they're reliable they're old standbys they've been with us and we're like sort of not excited about them for mm. that reason you know that's where I differ it's like I don't think it's that I'm not excited about them I think you're right I don't it's not like I text you and I'm like oh my gosh I gotta talk to you about Carcassonne today no I don't <laughs> I mean that's that's obviously not happening and clearly clearly what we're talking about is like new stuff but that makes sense yeah. it's sort of like who who looks at the news and texts their friend like about something that was news like you know 20 years ago you're probably not going to be digging up old news headlines and in text messages for the most part most of the time you're going to be like oh yeah like did you see this crazy story online you know whatever right something that's newsworthy the first time it happens but isn't Mm -hmm. if it happens every day like for example so I, you know, I moved out to California in, in January, like nine months ago, maybe. I already am bored talking about how beautiful the weather is. It's <laughs> Southern California, it's gorgeous. It's spring all year round here. People here think there are seasons. There are not. It goes from early <laughs> spring to late spring and back to early spring. And for, you know, weeks, months even, I was like, another incredible day. Like I was the Randy Newman song, you know, <laughs> I, I totally take it for granted now. Like that, mm-hmm. that I wake up and it's a, and it's a beautiful 70 degree day. It's like, yeah. That's just yeah. what it is. And that that's sort of how I feel about Carcassonne. It's like, it's mm-hmm. always a great game. It's always fun. And that is just expected of it. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's not um, surprising or noteworthy that it's right. a good game that we're going to enjoy. Exactly. You're not going to be like, oh my God, Kenan, check this out. Like, I totally came up with a new strategy on Carcassonne and I won. Like, you know what I mean? It's never going to be like <laughs> earth shaking like that. Right. Although undermining everything we're saying now. I did text you a week or two ago because I had gotten like way too aggressive in Carcassonne and was feeling regret. Oh, actually, you're right. You totally did. <laughs> the thing that's great about these old standbys, though, is introducing them to new, to new people. So like I was just Absolutely. saying, I just taught my friend Eric and he figured out how to be aggressive in this game right away. He's a lawyer. He was like, yep, mm-hmm. I'm gunning for all of you. Mm-hmm. And seeing him experience Carcassonne for the first time was like I was getting to to play it for the first time again. Mm-hmm. And I think that is sort of a way to reinvigorate our old games is just to show them to somebody new and remember That's true. how exciting they are and, and the joy that they bring. Totally. I think that when you were talking in the intro about the kind of dichotomy between the gamer you want to be and the gamer that you are... I feel like that Mm. really resonated with me in terms of these games that get played the most. And I don't feel like 
it is like, oh, just because you play these games the most, this is the only kind of gamer that you are. However, there's mm-hmm. a reason why these get played the most. And like probably someday, hopefully someday, I mean, this is the story I tell myself is that hopefully someday when my kid's a little older and he's more independent and I have more time to myself, I'll start to be able to play these other games more and more and be able to find other people who are right. who are interested. But I don't have to wait for that. I have this right now and I can do this. And I just yeah. need this little thing for me to feel like I'm engaged with this activity that I enjoy. And I don't have to rely on somebody else in this moment. Well, and it's like you were talking about possibly getting rid of Dune Imperium. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that a game that you're not playing isn't a good game. It's like right. no insult to the game or the designer or anything. It's that there are games that fit into your life as it is currently and games that don't. And you know what? When, when your kid is a little bit older and you're ready for that, there's going to be a whole bunch of new games that we're all excited about. Exactly. I mean, that happens literally weekly already. Especially during Essen season. <gasps> yes. <laughs> all right. I think that does it. I am Punchboard Cathedral on Instagram. You are Meeples and Beninis like with underscores. Do meet, 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 meeples and Beninis. That's for the people out there who don't get it. We do not have the budget for Rafi. <laughs> Zagoe says Rafi sounds like like a sad troubadour. He's like, do you know? Meeples and Beninis. Oh, I don't think he sounds sad. I just think he sounds a little stoned. I think he's having a nice time. You know, he's just vibing, I think. Yeah. Um, I kind of right. hear both. You know what? This is what we're working towards as a podcast mm-hmm. is getting Rafian to talk to us about his favorite games and whether he's sad or just stoned. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's see if the universe answers the call. Or if Rafi, Rafi answers you're listening. the call. Call us. <laughs> wow we're loopy it's almost friday <laughs> all right i think that's it that's it <laughs> that's it uh we will we will talk to you soon until then ramble on you know we will <laughs> bye-bye ciao